Man, Friday night, you could be sitting on the couch watching sitcoms, but I'm glad you're in the house of the Lord. And um, I also want to just, before I start, I want to acknowledge some of my people back there working who've been here every night, Robin and Paul and Jaron. And, and I want to highlight Sean Bonner, who went to work at 1.30 this morning and managed to be here. So the bar is high. You can't work any harder than that, man. So Sean, we want to thank you. Thank you for the efforts you put into it. I am expectant. I'm hungry for what the Lord is doing. I, we were singing about the greatness of God. He has been so good to me, so good in my life. I just think about how faithful the Lord has been. And I get the privilege tonight to introduce my friend Ted. He travels all over the world. I mean, he's in just about every place, traveling, preaching. And I'm sure grateful for him. I think my favorite attribute of my friend Ted, though, is he's actually quite a likable guy. You know, not everybody who preaches is likable, but Ted is likable. That is a good thing. So... Grateful that you're here. We just love you so much, and uh, looking forward to what the Lord is saying tonight. Amen? Amen, brother. Well, let's give Jesus a hand of praise in the house tonight. Aren't you happy? Hallelujah. Man, it's great to see every one of you here tonight, and uh, again, I want to say thank you. I've had such an amazing time once again uh, here at Bethany. I love Montana. I love this church. I love every one of you, and I love your pastors. And uh, it just you're not only nice and kind and welcoming, but you, I, one of the things I appreciate is your hunger for the anointing, your hunger for the move of God. And there's been few people so faithful here this week and seeking after a move of the Holy Ghost. I believe tonight God's going to meet us at our point of expectation. Can you say amen? And uh, I'm just telling you, it's been encouraging to me because... Uh, I've been getting messages, even on my phone, testimony after testimony. God's touching people. Prayer requests are turning into praise reports, and things are just turning around. It's amazing to see it. Uh, somebody wrote in this morning and said, would you pray? And they listed things that were going on with their family. And uh, I finally opened the text to uh, get with them, and I said, yes, I'm praying right now. And the text came right back, never mind, God already worked the miracle. Hallelujah. And so I love what the Bible said, before we call, he answered. And that's how it works. God knows what's going on. And God knows how to take care of every one of us. Can you say amen? And uh, I just want to say again an echo, Pastor. Thank you to every person that sowed your time and your talent and your energy this week as we're here in revival. And uh, I really appreciate you. And it takes effort and it's a sacrifice for the Lord. One thing I want to encourage you with is this. Anytime you give yourself your time, your talent, your energy to the Lord, there's a harvest that always comes back. God knows how to say a divine thank you. Amen. I thought about it the other night when I was looking at the story of Jesus jumping into Peter's boat. Peter was not yet a disciple. He was still a fisherman, and he answered Jesus with obedience. And Jesus said, let me use your boat. Push out and let me teach these people. And Peter didn't argue, didn't get offended. He just said, absolutely. And after he was done, the Bible says that Jesus gave Peter a divine thank you. You know what that was? Cast your nets, push out and beat and cast your nets out. And a catch came in that was so big, Peter's boat couldn't contain it. In fact, his friends had to come over and their boat couldn't contain it. They began to sink as well. When you obey God, when you give yourself to God, there's always a divine thank you for the faithful people of the Lord. Can you say amen? I was thinking about Malachi. If you study the book of Malachi, you'll find that the Bible says that God holds in his hand a book of remembrance. 
You know, sometimes when we hear that a phrase like that, it's like really a book of remembrance. He's remembering everything I'm doing. It like freaks people out. But it's not. When you study the story, you know what it's not? It's not him marking down every negative thing everybody's ever done. He said it's a book of remembrance for the righteous. He's remembering your righteous deeds and actions, and he has a plan to repay you and to bless you for every one of your faithful actions in the kingdom. That makes me excited because when people forget about what you've done for the Lord, and we don't do it for the applause of people, and when people around you say, well, you know, they'll, you know people are fickle. My, you know, my grandfather used to say, people are fickle and the world's full of them. Amen. And it's true. People might be for you one day and against you the next, but God's always for you. And God's remembering every righteous thing you've done. You know what I love? I was, I was uh, last year, when 2020 hit and all these things were happening, the Lord said, when you go to a church, and, and I, I told you this week, never stop traveling. And the Lord said, when you go to a church, he said, don't start the week of revival by preaching a sermon. He said, but give them a message from me. And he would have me everywhere I went. He would have me open up to Isaiah chapter 3. I think I even did it here last year. Isaiah chapter 3. And uh, he said, give that same message to the people today that I was having Isaiah give to the Jews back then. And I would open up to Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 10. And the Bible says, say unto the righteous, it shall be well with them. Hallelujah. For they will eat the fruit of their deeds. At seed time and harvest. You will have the fruit of your deeds. But then he went on to say this, verse 11. But woe unto the wicked, for it shall be ill with them. For what their hands have dealt out to others shall be done unto them. And I'm telling you that God is watching over his people. He's watching over the church. And he's not going to allow some wicked system to overtake the uh, move of his spirit that's going through this nation. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm excited. I've got a massive excitement in my spirit for what's going to happen in the final quarter of 2021. I'm ready to run into a new year with brand new momentum. Can you say amen? And uh, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm on this final night, I'm glad you're here, but I'm pumped up, man. Hallelujah. I'm, tr I'm trying to hold it back for a moment, but I'm just getting excited already because I have this expectation of faith that we've not even seen the best days yet. We've not even experienced the best God has yet. And it's a principle we see in the Word. He saves the best for last. And I know what the Bible declares. We've, we've dealt with Bible prophecy. Some will fall away. Some will grow cold. Some will depart from the faith. But you know what I told you as, as we've been declaring like last night? That won't be my story in Jesus' name. That won't be my story in Jesus' name. And we're declaring the best is yet to come. Can you shout amen? How many believe the best is yet to come for your family, your children, your grandchildren? I believe it too. And I've, like you, I've set my faith and I've, you know what, one of the things that struck me, I was in Amish country recently out on the East Coast 
and we were going through all the Amish farms and going through, uh, they, there was even one where they made their whole farmhouse open to you. You could go through it and look at everything they have and look at the way they do life. Even their town was open to everybody to come in. And as I was going through, I watched their horses that were drawing the carriages. And something the Lord spoke to me through the horses, if you can believe that. I was watching the horses, and I noticed that all of them had blinders on. So that as they were pulling that carriage, that nothing that was happening around them would spook them and take them off of their task or what they should have been doing. And I heard the Lord speak to me, and he said, this is what I'm expecting of my children in the final days, to put blinders on, keep their eyes on my word, keep their eyes on their heavenly reward, and don't get spooked by what's going on around you in the world. Don't get spooked by the news. Don't get spooked by the government or the economy. Don't get spooked by the culture, but put those blinders on and keep your eyes on the prize. Can you say amen? Because when you do, you filter out the nonsense of this wicked world and it never becomes a controlling factor in your life which keeps you in a place of faith and in a place of expectancy knowing God will do what he said he would do. That's why I was in Tomball, Texas. I told you I love that woman's reply. I called out a woman on uh, one of the nights of the revival. She had oxygen in her nose, was dragging around an oxygen tank. I said, sister, the power of God's on you. She was weeping back there. And I said, um, what is it? Because the Lord didn't reveal it to me. I said, what is it you're dealing with? She said, I've been diagnosed with COPD. And so I told her, I said, we're going to get you a miracle. She, I said this, though. I always try to find out where people are. I said, do you believe the Lord will heal you? You know what her answer was? I know he will. That's faith right there. She said, I know he will. I said, well, how bad do you really need that oxygen? She said, unless I'm sitting down, I have to have the oxygen. I said, well, stand up and take it out of your nose. And she did. And I prayed for her. Power of God hit her. And I marched that woman <laughs> all over that church, into the lobby, all around through every aisle. And people started shouting. She left that thing back in her seat came to the altar and began to praise God and dance, came back the next night, no oxygen, came back the final night, no oxygen, power of God touched her. Then, as I told you Sunday morning, she went home, and on the final night, here comes a man down to the altar to be saved. The pastor was already wide-eyed, couldn't believe the man was in church, told me later, that man's an alcoholic, he's got anger management issues, he killed a man last year on his property, hasn't been to church in years. He said, but he got saved tonight. I said, what, what turned him around? He said, his wife came home healed of COPD, and it softened his heart. Hallelujah. And when God did that, that man came into the kingdom, the wife got a miracle, and I'm just telling you, God has a plan to bless our families. He's got a plan to bless our households, the work of our hands, bless our children and grandchildren. Don't ever allow the enemy to bring anxiety into your heart, fear, panic, because he'd love to do that. I've dealt with so many people over the last 18 months that the enemy tried to use depression and anxiety to destroy their faith. And I'm telling you, I've ministered to and watched God deliver them. We've got to stay in a place of joy and a place of peace, knowing victory already belongs to us in Jesus' name. Can you shout aloud, amen? And uh, I'm just telling you tonight, the Lord spoke to me to uh, minister to every person. 
minister to families, to households. And what are we doing? We're setting our faith that no matter what is doled out in this world, and I'm going to tell you something, you know as well as I do, there's antichrist men and women in, in different places of power that have plans to destroy America. You know, it's a crazy day when you have leaders that are in charge of a nation that they don't love. Amen. And I know it's not popular to talk about everywhere, but we're seeing people, and I've talked to you about it this week. It's a prophetic thing to understand that there is a one-world system coming. There is a one-world agenda. We've got globalists living in this nation. We've got people in political power. They want to see global control. You've already heard people murmuring and talking in press conferences and talking about how it might be better to do a great reset and it might be better to try to bring everything under one banner for a while and have one economic system and one and that's the mindset of the globalist the antichrist system and i told you this week that it's got to be the case that if that's the direction the enemy wants to go then he has to try to move strong independent nations like america out of the way it's no surprise to me that america is not listed anywhere by name in bible prophecy it's not a surprise to me well I don't know why it's not, but there's a few scenarios as to why it might not be. One reason might be that by the time those things happen, we not, may not even be a sovereign nation anymore. We may have been absorbed by somebody else. Who knows what the case is? But I know this. You can't have global control as long as you have strong, independent nations. And there are people with an antichrist spirit that are working against America from the inside. That's why more than ever before, it's important that Holy Ghost-filled Christians stand up and do what they're called to do and are not ashamed to declare that they stand for that word. They stand for what's holy. They stand for what's righteous. There's more pushback now than there's ever been before, ever, on righteousness. Ever. I mean, I've never seen a day like today, and I'm not even that old. The, some of you that are, more, that are older than I am, you've never seen a day like today where people are in the streets unashamedly flaunting their unrighteousness and want you to applaud them for their level of wickedness. You've never seen a day like today. But you know what it is? It's what Jesus said coming to pass. Before I come, the world will be like it was in the days of Lot and in the days of Noah. That's extreme violence, corruption, and perversion. Those are the three main things that mark the days of Noah and Lot. In the days of Noah, corruption and violence. In the days of Lot, perversion. And it's in the streets today. There's people marching down the street. They don't even know what pronoun you, they want to be called. They're making words up now because they're so confused. There's people using every bathroom under the sun. They just passed it in Virginia where I used to live that now in school systems, you can use any bathroom you want and do whatever you want. And if anyone says anything to you, they'll get reprimanded. 
It's a wickedness that's spreading through our nation. You look at, I mean, if you don't think they're coming after our children, just sit down and browse through Netflix at what shows they're uh, marketing towards the teenagers and the children. There's witchcraft being marketed to them, black magic. There's all kinds of perversion being marketed to them. Look at what, I mean, all you got to do, if you're a young person, you know what I'm talking about. You can open up your TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, and you can see these things right in front of your face because the world is spewing its agenda at the rest of the population. And they want you to feel ashamed that you don't stand for that. I've never seen a day like today where they want Christians to shut up. Isn't it funny? It's diversity for everybody else unless you're a Christian. That blows my mind. They applaud every other thought process, every other religion. If you're a Muslim, hey, when they were shutting people down in New York City, wouldn't let Jews meet in, in temple, wouldn't let Christians meet in churches. You know what the government was doing? Providing meals for Muslims to celebrate their holiday while they were shutting everybody else down. Well, why is it that the government doesn't have issues? Why is it that the Antichrist system doesn't have issues with Muslims and with Buddhists and with atheists and with agnostics? How come they don't have an issue with New Age philosophy? It's because all of those things also are driven by an Antichrist system. But when the Spirit of Christ is raised up in the earth, it makes the Antichrist spirit angry and irritated. Have you ever had somebody that just pushed back against you and didn't even really know you? You couldn't even understand why they were upset. But there's something in you that brings conviction to the sinner. There's something in you that brings that power that it can be felt. You don't have to see it. You can feel it. That's the Holy Ghost. We've never lived in a day like today. And when you look around at all that's going on, they applaud everybody else's outspokenness until it's a Christian. Christians are the only ones, by the way, that are still in the closet. Doesn't matter if you've labeled it a prayer closet. Come out of the closet and stand up for God. It's time for Christians to stand up, be heard, be counted, and not be shoved in a corner somewhere. See, listen, that's why I believe with all my heart that God wants the body of Christ to have influence in the earth. That, that's why. That the reason the devil wants to keep people broken, keep people dependent, keep people poor, keep people insignificant is because he doesn't want the body of Christ to have a voice in the earth. He doesn't want us to have an influence in the earth. Whether we like it or not, the Bible says money answers all things. Thanks for all the shouts. Money answers all things. That's a scripture in the Bible. That's not something that Peter Popov said to get you Jerusalem well water out of his toilet. That's something the Bible actually said. The Bible says money answereth all things. When we went to do a crusade in Atlanta, Georgia, we were renting the, the parking lot where uh, the Atlanta Braves play and where they held the Olympics. And I think it was 1992 or 1990. And we were renting that. Well, once the city found out that it was a gospel crusade, then it went from, sure, you can come in and have the permits to, yeah, you can have the permits for tens of thousands of dollars. 
Ten, oh, sure, you can come in and do that Christian crusade, but it's going to cost you an extra 40, 50 grand to get the permits. When before it was, oh, yeah, we're welcome. Back when they thought it was just us coming to bless the community, which we did, brought in two tractor trailer worth, uh, trucks worth full of food to feed the hungry and those that were homeless. Think about this. By the time the crusade was done, six days, 2,000 plus souls came to the altar to be saved. Think about this though. 600 of those 2,000, when their prayer cards were turned in, had no address they could write down. They put things like the steps of the church or under the bridge because they were homeless. People that were broken living on the streets, hearing the gospel and being saved, being fed by the power of God. And all of a sudden, here's a wicked, anti-system trying to stop us from coming in to preach the gospel. And you know what they said? Sure, you can come, but for the permits, how about another forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000? You know what we said to them? Cash or check. You know why? Because money answers all things. You can try to keep us quiet. You can try to shut us up. But I refuse to take a vow of poverty and be insignificant in this world when there's a world full of people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. you got to make up in your mind, I'm going to have the resources to be a blessing to this generation. I'm going to have the resources to make an impact in my generation. I'm not believing to provide Thanksgiving for my family. I'm not believing to provide Christmas for my family. I'm believing to provide it for many other families. I'm not believing to feed my kids and put food on the table and fill the fridge. We're feeding hundreds of kids around the world every single day because of the power of God and the resources to do it. I'm partnered with Dr. Lester Sumrall, who's now in heaven. I'm partnered with his uh, feeding program. We still, to this day, are, are one, I actually had our assistant call. I said, I want you to call them up. Their organization's called Feed the Hungry. I said, call them up, because I want to know what would it take for our ministry to be in the top 1% of contributors to their organization. And they, I said, call them up and find out the number. And they called, my, my assistant called up. She called me back. She said, hey, they, I just got off the phone with them. They said, you're already in the top 1% of giving. I said, well, call back again and find out what it's going to take to be in the top 1% of the top 1%. Because I made up my mind that I'm going to bless those that are in need in these final moments of time. I'm not going to hoard it all upon my own lusts. It's about blessing this generation. It's about blessing this world. You know what? It's a whole lot easier for somebody to receive what we say about Jesus after they've got a full belly. Oh, yeah, it's, talk is cheap, but when they see you love them because you've gone and you've actually ministered to their needs, oh, you better believe they open wide up to hear what you got to say when they see the love of God coming through you in a practical way. And see, the devil wants to keep us in a place of not enough, a place of just enough. He wants to keep us in a place where we're paycheck to paycheck, where we can't tithe, we can't give, we can't bless the poor. And those days are over in Jesus' name because we're stepping into a place of blessing that's going to make the devil so mad he'll pull his hair out in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, it's time for us to get real with this and declare, I refuse to walk around. in a, well, Meanwhile, I've got a covenant with who, the one who's the divine 
divine provider. Jehovah Jireh is my heavenly father. And if he's my heavenly father, I don't have any business in lack or in poverty or going without. And God's calling us to not only walk in the blessing, but to be deliverers in our generation. Can you shout aloud, amen? I remember I was, in, I was coming home from a revival one time. And I came, because, man, you go in to do my sh grocery shopping late at night. There's no lines. I like to make sure, because, man, you go in the daytime sometimes, and those lines are brutal. And so we got back from doing a, a crusade, and I dropped my wife off at the house, and I still had the truck packed with all our stuff, and I went straight to Walmart. I was like, I'm getting groceries now while there's nobody there. And I got out and did my shopping, and I was coming back out to the truck, and I had my, my cart pushing it, and I saw this big old guy over in the shadows of Walmart he, uh, parking lot. He said, hey, buddy, can I talk to you for a minute? Now, normally I don't meet up with people in dark shadows and parking lots at midnight, but I something in my spirit I felt to do it. And I walked over to him, and uh, I said, hey, what's up, man? And uh, he was a big guy, I mean, bigger than me. And he said, hey, could I get some help from you? I said, what do you need? What kind of help do you need? He said, well, buddy, I just got out of prison. And he said, um, uh, my car just got impounded. And he said, my, my parole officer got me a job, and I'm supposed to be there every day. If I miss a day, I'll lose it and, and whatever. And he said, and it's part of my parole. i got to be at work. He said, but they took my car. I parked it in the wrong place, and they, they uh, towed my car. He said, i got to get my car out of the impound. He said, I, I need 80 bucks. At that point, I didn't know if he was telling me a story or just trying to scam money off me or what. I mean, I'm not accustomed to just hanging, handing out cash in the Walmart parking lot. But I said, oh, really? You need it? I said, well, how, how are you going to get home? He said, well, my girlfriend's over here, and she's waiting on me, and if I can't get anybody to help me, we're going to have to figure something out. I said, well, I want you. I felt the Lord. Now, I felt this in my spirit, the, and, I, and I knew. I, the Lord said, no matter if he's scamming you or not, I want you to help this man. So I said, well, let's go back over to the truck where your girlfriend is. So we walked, up, walked back over. She's in the driver's seat. They got kids crying in the back. I said, get in. It was like 1 in the morning. I said, get into your truck. So he got in. I shut the door on him, and he had the window rolled down. I just put both my elbows inside the truck. And I said, now I'm going to help you. I said, but you don't know who you got a hold of. I'm a Holy Ghost preacher. <laughs> I said, before I help you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you for a minute. And I just leaned into that F-150 window and began to give those both of them, the, the boyfriend and the girlfriend, the gospel. And I'm sitting there talking about Jesus is coming soon. I said, do you know where you'd go if you died tonight? Do you know if you'd be in heaven or hell? Both of them. Him, big old guy just out of prison, his head's bowed, and the rubber mats on the floor, his tears are hitting the mats and forming a puddle. She's over there with her head on the steering wheel. She's crying. The kids in the back were crying before the gospel was preached, and I was, I was, I was ministering to him. I said, do you know where you'd go? No, I don't know where I'd go. Probably hell. I said, yeah, but Jesus doesn't want you to end up there. And he sent me tonight. You didn't even know this was a divine encounter. He sent me to tell you about Jesus Christ. Leaned into that truck, and I preached the gospel to him for about three and a half minutes. I said, now, both of you, do you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? you got to take advantage of these moments when you have a, you know, a, ca a captive audience. I said, do you, I said, do you want to receive Jesus? He said, yes, I do. I said, she said yeah, I want to pray. I said, I, I led them both right there in the sinner's prayer. And they both received Jesus on the spot. I said, wait right here. 
I went back to my truck. I still had all my books and CDs and everything. I got everything I had. I got one of everything. I walked over. I said, you need to read this material. You need to listen to it. Put it in their hand. I said, do you have a local church that you can go to? Do you know of any churches? I don't know of any. I pulled out a card. I wrote down a local church. I said, report to this church. You know, I was like, make sure you get discipled. You know, I'm sending them through those. I said, now follow me over to the ATM, and I'll get you some money to do whatever you need to do. I had them follow me over, and I was driving and thinking to myself, You know, Walmart, actually, that is the truth. They do always have the best prices. I just got two souls for $40 a piece. Best prices I'd ever seen in my life. I went over there, and I thought to myself, what a deal. Two eternal souls will be in heaven, and all it cost me was $80. I said, man, what if I was one of these cheapskates? Can I get some help and just walk into your truck real quick so nobody can see? No. I said, you know what? I'm happy to have the excess. I'm happy to be able to sow. I'm happy to be able to bless. I'm happy to be able to give because it's just like God. He so loved the world that he gave, hallelujah, he gave his only begotten son. Did you ever think about this? The thing that brought Jesus to the earth was that God gave. First thing that happened, that this, this will blow your mind. First thing that happened to bring Jesus to the earth, God gave. First thing that happened when Jesus hit the earth, men came to give wise men showed up to give last thing Jesus did before he left the earth he raised up his voice and gave up the ghost he gave leaving he gave coming and they gave when he got here he's a giving God he's a giving God we're made in his likeness we're made in his image and we're called to walk in the supernatural blessing of heaven Don't get nervous. I'm not taking an offering. I'm actually preaching to you about the fact that our families are to be blessed. Our families are to overflow. Our families are to be positioned to bless our generation. We're not called to be the borrower. We're called to be the lender. Hallelujah. See, the devil doesn't want churches to have financial influence. He doesn't want Christians to have financial influence. You know, there was a a time where, uh, how many have heard of Pastor Jensen Franklin in in Georgia? Pastor Jensen Franklin, and he pastors Free Chapel in in Georgia. And uh, he was going to build some new property because their church was growing so quick that there was um, nowhere to put people. So he went to the local bank that usually works with their church and said, we want to build a property and we want this. And the banker actually, I don't know if it would change the uh, uh, ownership or what, but started giving him a hard time. You're not getting a dollar from us. You're not getting a dollar from this bank. And he went back. And you, you talk about influence. Pastor, Pastor Jensen got up in the pulpit on Sunday morning, and he said, folks of Free Chapel, let me ask you by a raising of your hand, how many of you bank was such and such a bank? And I mean like a bunch of hands went up, tons. Monday through good. Tomorrow morning, Monday, go down there, pull all your money out, and find another bank. By Monday, 3 o'clock, the president of the bank was on the phone. Pastor, you can have anything you want. What would you like to have? He's like, Yeah, You know what he told him? Too late. You had your chance to bless the house of God, and you lost it. That's called influence, my friend, that we are not supposed to be some little nobody in a shadow of a corner that the devil just laughs at for our whole life. I was... Uh, I was talking about Pastor Bob Rogers, who pastors in Louisville, Kentucky. His father, Wayman Rogers, they, 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 this is a powerful thought because this was the church where Colonel Sanders got saved from Kentucky Fried Chicken. And they're in the middle of a fast. I put this in one of my books that you'll have back there. 
um, they're in the middle of a fast at their church. See, God will find a way to bless you. God will find a way to bless you and put your head and shoulders above the rest. And uh, I heard him tell the story. His father, Pastor Wayman, he was believing God because they needed a new church. They were building a new building, and it seemed like stuff had been shut up, and there was no way for them to get the resources. He said, we're in the midst of a fast and an extended meeting. He said, I'm up here at the platform preaching. All of a sudden, the back doors of World Evangel Prayer Center open up, and in walks the colonel. And he said, it would have been just like you imagined it. White suit, little string tie, white goatee, glasses. He said, look just like the ads. He said, somebody in our church had seen him in Louisville on the street and invited him to the revival. So in the midst of prayer and fasting, and they're in the landlock on this deal to get a new building, in walks Colonel Sanders and comes right down to the front and sits on the front row. Pastor Wayman preached his message that, sun, that Sunday night, and as he was given the altar call for people to be saved, Colonel Sanders steps out of his seat and walks down to the altar and bows his head. Pastor Wayman came off the platform. He said, Colonel, what do you need God to do? Now, see, you may not know this. Colonel Sanders worked on the railroads before he was uh, started Kentucky Fried Chicken, and he was a hard man, and he was a hard man to be around, and he had a foul mouth. He was a cursing machine, had a, you know, curse more than a sailor would curse. And he actually said to Pastor, Pastor Wayman, he said, Colonel, what do you want God to do for you? He said, I need God to save me and take out my cusser. That's that's what he told him at the altar. Need God to save me and take out my cusser. He said, well, Colonel, I believe the Lord will do it. And, and brother, brother Wayman Rogers prayed with Colonel Sanders there at the altar and, uh, and, and led him to Jesus, prayed for him. God would deliver him. You can actually go on YouTube and you can find the interview when uh, Pastor Wayman and Colonel Sanders went on TBN with Jan and Paul Crouch and gave the interview on Praise the Lord. But one of the things that's exciting, that like after God worked that miracle, not only did he get delivered, but then he came down to the altar and laid a check in for $1 million to bless their building fund. Let me tell you, God will find a way to bless you. I said, God will find a way to bless you. God will find, you don't have to struggle through life. God will find a way to bless you. Your family doesn't have to go without. You don't have to struggle through life. It's not the plan of God. We are not Roman Catholics. We did not take a vow of poverty. You'll not find that in the Bible. God doesn't require his children to go without. He requires his children to have faith. And if you have faith and obey his word, he'll bless you beyond anything you could imagine because you serve a good, loving, heavenly father. Hallelujah. The Bible says Jesus taught this. If earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those that ask him? Hallelujah. I'm telling you, God has a plan to bless us more than we even want to be blessed. I was talking to a, uh, I actually put this in, in one of the books as well. There's a guy named, uh, his name is Tim. I'm trying to remember his last name. You can find it in the book on uh, fasting and prayer. But he's up in his tree stand. This is the story I shared with you about, I don't know if you've heard me, me mention it here, but this man was up in his tree stand, Holy Ghost filled Christian, and he's hunting for deer, and he's up there early before the sunrise, and he's just praying in the Holy Ghost under his breath. And uh, the Lord says, I want you to go home, and I want you to begin, call the patent office, and I want you to get a patent on trees and rocks. He thought he heard something wrong. He's like, are you serious, trees and rocks? He went home, and he called them up. They laughed at him in his face. 
We ain't giving you a patent on trees and rocks. I mean, like, what, what in the world? The Lord told him to go out in his garage. He had one of those wire cutters, those styrofoam that cut styrofoam, you know, the hot wire. And the Lord said, start cutting out shapes of rocks and little short shrubs, trees, weeds. He said, and then tree trunks, tree trunks like that. And so he just started obeying. And he's cutting out rocks. And he's cutting out trees and tree trunks. And about a week later, the patent office called him back. The guy was sheepish. He said, uh, sir, I guess we are going to be giving you a patent on trees and rocks. And he said, I'm sorry, we laughed at you. And so he began. And God gave him this idea to create a hunting blind for deer hunting. And it, was, it looks like a big, rotted out tree stump, about this high, huge tree. Has a door, you can go inside, you can sit in your chair, the window pulls up, you can sit, you know, retains heat and everything like that. And it looks so real, they've got video on those trail cams of deer coming up and rubbing on it, like rubbing on the actual fake deer uh, hunting blind. And uh, he had this idea, well, he builds this hunting blind, a prototype thing God gave him in his tree stand by the Holy Ghost. And he, he makes a prototype in his garage. He said, I was having a hard time. The finances were getting low on this project, this business I, I started. He said, there's a knock at my garage door. He said, I go out, and here's this guy. This is what he said. He said, this guy's standing in front of me that looks like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. He said he had a big skinny guy, big old cargo pants on, floppy hair, standing there, you know, shorts. And he says, he said, hey, I heard about your business, came across town to check out your hunting blind. And so he said, yeah, you know, come on in and you can look, you can look at it. It's here in the garage. He wasn't producing any of them. He didn't have the money. And he said, take a look at it. And the, and the guy that looked like Shaggy walked around it. He was so impressed. He said, what would it take for you to get a couple of warehouses and to put this into full production? And he kind of laughed, thinking like, yeah, this guy is going to really help me there. And he said, well, it's going to cost about this much. He actually had it all ready to go, the plans. And the man that looked like Shaggy pulled a checkbook out of his cargo pocket, and he said, let me write you a check. We'll start it up this week. Paid one check, got the warehouses, got the hunting blinds into production, and they start producing at mass scale. Well, he takes one of these hunting blinds and goes, and he's looking to the expo, sets up a booth. And a guy from Texas is browsing through the booths, and he's looking at all the stuff people are selling, comes up on this guy's hunting blind. He said, look, I've never seen anything like this before. He said, yeah, this is something. I just had this idea. The guy's like, this thing's awesome, man. He's like, look, and he's going inside it. He's looking around. He's like, bro, this thing's awesome. It looks so real. He's like, uh, how many do you have? And they'd produced a bunch already. He said, well, I own property in Texas. I own hunting ranches where people come down all the time, do hunting. He said, we got hogs. We got deer. He said, we got everything. He said, today, I'm writing you a check. I'm buying everything you got in stock. And in one day, God made the man a multimillionaire from one idea that came from the Holy Ghost. God has a plan to bless your family. God's got a plan to bless your children. God's got a plan to bless your grandchildren. You know, when my, when my grandfather was coming up in the ministry, I mean, nobody was preaching word of faith, doc. Nobody was encouraging you to confess. and say, That wasn't really a thing back then. He, we came up in the Assemblies of God, old-time Pentecost. I mean, it was, it was just like you remember to be if you grew up in that. And my grandfather said wherever he'd be sent to pastor, they'd send him all over America. He pastored in cities all over the United States. 
And he said wherever they would send him next, he said it's almost like the people had a motto in the church. Lord, you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. And he said they kept their half of the bargain. And so... He's pastoring and all this stuff. And it, there were times, now he had four sons, my father and three other sons. And, you know, when you're raising boys, those boys eat. They'll eat you out of house and home. It's like, it's like me. My father tells people when he preaches. He said, we didn't buy milk when my son was growing up. We just backed the cow up to the door. <laughs> That's, you know, I would, I would eat, man. I would, I, before bed, I'd make five bologna and cheese sandwiches on a plate and go up and eat. I was growing like a weed, just an eating machine. I'm still eating that way. I'm just not growing up. I'm growing out. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's why you've not seen this jacket button tonight. Hallelujah. <laughs> you don't want a weapon of mass destruction in the building. Yes, this one guy said, that's how you know I'm on the level. My bubble's in the middle. Amen. So <laughs> he, he, uh, he said, Lord, if you, because they will keep him poor. And, and they were in a real bind. You know, they were in a real bind because they didn't have any money. And they didn't have any food in the cupboards. Not only did the four boys live there, but my great-grandmother, my grandmother's mom, lived with them as well. And um, there was a time where my grandmother, she was just standing out. She tells the story. She was just standing at the sink, and she was praying, Lord, provide for our family. We've got nothing in the fridge. We've got nothing in the cupboards. Provide, Lord, for our family. Provide, Lord, for our family. And do you know, their parsonage was set in, there in West Virginia right under a farmhouse. And she said, as she's standing there by the sink praying, Lord, provide for our family. Provide for our family. She said she watched as from the farmer's property up the hill, a whole line of chickens came walking down the hill. My grandmother tells this story. A whole line of chickens walks right down the hill. They had a little shed in, on their property. All the chickens went right into the shed. And they were in there for a while, and then she watched them. She didn't know what was up. She watched them come out of the shed and go right back up the hill to their property. And so she came out of the parsonage, and she went around to the shed and looked inside. Those chickens had all come down and laid a pile of eggs in the shed. And she said, well, we're not thieves. So she packed them up into a basket and sent my grandfather up to give them back to the farmer. And he goes up there to, to raps on the door. And I said, hey. And they're kind of looking at him because the preacher's standing there with a basket of eggs. He said, you know, uh, your, your chickens came down the hill and laid this basket of eggs in the shed. They said, our chickens did that? He said, yeah, it came down today. They said, couldn't have been ours. They said, ours will not lay. We can't get them to lay. He said, we've tried everything to get them. They will not lay. He said, I'm telling you, they came down. He said, well, if they laid it on your property, they're your eggs. So my grandfather took them back down the hill, and they had eggs to eat. They testified. I've heard my grandmother testify that as long as they lived in that parsonage, every so often, those chickens would come down the hill, go right into the shed, lay a pile of eggs, and then head right back up where they came from. I tell you, when I heard that story, it made me think, of what the Bible taught in 1 Kings 17, that in the middle of a drought and a famine, God set Elijah right next to a brook called Kareth where he took fresh water. But ravens came and brought morsels of bread and meat. Hallelujah. I mean, that'll stir you up. Because in a, minute, in, in a moment where there's nothing available, you serve a creator who knows how to provide for you and for your family. And you think about that. Ravens are scavenger birds. They take, they don't give. If you've ever seen those ravens around, you know, I grew up in Virginia Beach. You know, you go there, you go to a McDonald's parking lot, 
You're so close to the ocean, there's seagulls that know exactly where to be. They're waiting in that McDonald's parking lot, just hovering over those cars, because they know somebody's going to drop fries at some point. And they're just sitting there. You see those seagulls just kind of walking. One or two fries. You'll see them things just like waiting for somebody to drop a cheeseburger. And if somebody drops even one or two fries, you'll see them things. They, they come in. You hear them. They're all out there. Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> mine, mine. And they're going after each other. Taking those fries. Well, they're scavengers just like the ravens. Scavengers. They take. They don't give. But do you understand what God did for the prophet Elijah? The Bible says God actually had to reverse the nature of his own creation. Birds that normally would take, take, take and fight each other for the same thing. God changed their nature. So now they're getting morsels of bread, getting morsels of meat and flying them to give to his man that was in need. I'll tell you, the Bible tells us that if we will do what the Lord said to do, that he would cause men and women to give into our bosom. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I'll tell you, I'm believing this. I believe God will change the nature of even people that don't like you. And they'll show up on your porch and ring the doorbell and say, I don't even know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to write you a check. I'm telling you, God will change the nature of those that don't even care for you. You know why that, that scripture stirs me up? Because it doesn't say Christian men and women will give into your bosom. It just says men and women will give into your bosom. I'll take it from whoever is willing to give it. I told somebody at one meeting, I said, you, they were like, well, you know, Brother Shuttlesworth, you don't really mean that. I mean, if a drug dealer tried to give you drug, I said, buddy, I'd take it so quick, blow the cocaine off the top, put it in my pocket, and preach the gospel with it. I was saying that in New York one time, and I took the offering at the end of the service, and the, uh, so the youth pastor came up and said, Brother Ted, there was a guy in the second row that I know for a fact is a drug dealer, and when you took the offering, he pulled out his wallet and gave an offering at the Lord. <laughs> God God will change the nature of people. I remember hearing Brother Shambach tell a story. You may have heard this before. But Brother Shambach told a story about a woman. I'm not sure if she was a partner of his or not, but he told it under the tent when we traveled with him. He said there was a woman who uh, was really didn't have much of anything. And she was in her uh, little apartment there, but the walls were, were thin. And uh, she was a godly woman. She'd wake up and pray, thank God, give God praise, and all this. And, and the walls were so thin, her neighbors could even hear her doing that. But the thing that ticked, her, that ticked the guy off, her na one of her neighbors was an atheist. He was so burnt up. To hear her praying to God every day, it would so tick him off to hear her talking to Jesus and, you know, a God that doesn't even exist. You know what I mean? It's like I heard one preacher say, did you hear about the uh, atheist who was dyslexic that didn't believe there was a dog? Anyway, so <laughs> she, he's in there. He's in there just ticked off, heated. This woman won't shut up. She wakes me up in the morning with early morning prayer. She's praying at night, and he hears her. And he was going to rub it in her face to God. That's how evil this guy was. Rub it in her face that there is no God. And so he heard her crying out to God because there was nothing. She had nothing left on food stamps, had no groceries in the cabinet. And so she's crying out, you know, for provision. He said, I'm so sick of hearing this. I'm going to prove this to her that, that you don't need to believe in a, some unseen being. It's people around you that can. 
can help you. It's those that have the resources that can help you. So he goes out and buys two groceries, the carts full of groceries for the woman, brings it back to her house, puts it on her doorstep and rings the doorbell and hides in the, in the bushes. She came out and saw that and starts giving God praise. And now he'd had his moment. He jumps out and said, see that? That's not God. I bought them. I bought the groceries. And she started dancing and giving God even more praise. She said, thank you, God. You, not only did you pro provide for me, you made the devil pay for it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. God, God knows how to provide for his people, for his children. And I wanted to encourage you with this tonight because I believe that our families are going to a whole nother level. And, I, and when I say this, what, what I'm believing, see, I, I can't take any credit for the blessing of God that's on our fam my family. You know, I, I just give God thanks often for his grace and mercy that's on my family. Told you one of the other nights that right now tonight, there's like 18 Shuttlesworths preaching the gospel somewhere. I tell people we're like Holy Ghost cockroaches. The devil can't get rid of us. They're, they're literally all over. There's two preaching up in Canada. There's some preaching in, out on the East Coast tonight. My wife's going to be preaching uh, in Boston tomorrow morning. I mean, all, just everywhere. My father's in a 10-day revival that extended another day tonight in Rochester, New York. I mean, just preaching all over the place. I can't take credit for that. I can only give God thanks for his grace because my grandfather, father was a moonshine running fighting angry mean coal miner he had no he had no uh literally no goals to be in the ministry no goals to be a christian nobody even thought he'd get saved they thought he's gonna be a gangster and all of a sudden god got a hold of him and god turned his life around and god put put him on a path to accomplish his purpose went to bible school met my grandmother they got married started ministering together had four sons, Ted, Tim, Tiff, and Terry. Every one of them still preaching the gospel. Every one of their kids preaching the gospel. Now the grandkids are interested to preach the gospel and prophet. And I'm just telling you, that's only the grace of God and the mercy of God. But you know what? God will touch our families in that way. I always encourage people, maybe you're the first one in your family to ever come into the kingdom of God. Maybe you're a first-generation Christian, and before you, it was just heathen. It was people that didn't believe the Bible, didn't believe in Christianity. They were alcoholics. They were fighters. They came from broken homes, whatever. But once you came into the kingdom, you broke that cycle by the power of God. And now whatever was going on before you, for you, it stops because of Jesus. No no matter what was running through the family before you, it stops because you've got a new family tree. You've got the blood of Jesus Christ running through your veins. And whatever generational curse was harassing your family, it ends with you by the power of God. Don't ever say again, well, you know, cancer runs through our family and diabetes runs through our family and alcoholism runs in our family. That broke when God touched your life. When you came into the kingdom... Any hold the devil had on your family, it was cut off by the power of the Holy Ghost. And from this day forward, you can declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we'll be blessed. As for me and my house, we will prosper. As for me and my house, we'll walk in healing because the hand of God has been extended to you. Do you know you can win battles for your family? that your kids won't even have to fight. Let me show you something from the Word. First uh, Chronicles chapter 22. 
You look at the end of David's life. Solomon's getting ready to take over as king. David's been king all those years. He's fought and fought and fought and fought. You'd think a man that fought that much would have died in battle. I mean, he didn't stop fighting. He was a bad dude. I mean, David was no joke. We see pictures of David that people paint. You think David was like some fairy running around with a harp. <laughs> David was a man of war. That's why I can't stand to go to these churches. They get pictures of the Jesus in the, in the lobby. Got him looking like a feminine, like he's got lip gloss on back in old-time Jew, you know, Jewish community. <laughs> Jesus was a man's man. Let me tell you something. Jesus was a man's, I don't know any, I don't know any like little feminine dude that's going to run into a temple and fashion their own whip, flip everybody's tables over and beat the wicked people out of the building. I know anybody, you guys, I'm so sick of you, you money changers. So tired of this. Every time I come in here, you've inflated the prices, the sacrifices. People can't even give God a, No. I'm going to put every one of you in time out. I'm so tired of it. <laughs> Jesus came in with fire in his eyes. He said, oh, you want to mess around my father's house? You just hang on one second. He went out back, and he, the, I love what the Bible said, and he braided his own whip. <laughs> he said, I ain't just going to give you a beating. I'm going to give you a custom-made beating. <laughs> that, was the, that was the biblical equivalent of Jesus making them pick their own switch. Go out there and pick your own sweat. I heard one comedian said that was the most mental torture you could have ever had as a kid. Get out there and pick your own switch. Because you're out there wondering as you're looking in the bushes, you're like, that one there will snap my spine in half. If I pick that one, they'll just send me right back. And God help you if you live by a willow tree. <laughs> that was in that thing ain't breaking, buddy. It was like a bull whip. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus braids his own whip comes back in the temple with fire in his eyes, flips those tables over, and beats those wicked men out of the temple and says, this is my father's house. It'll be called a house of prayer, and you've tried to make it a den of thieves. God, Jesus was serious about honoring the father's house. He was serious about righteousness. He was serious about holiness. He wasn't playing games. He was... So this is a man's man, and he came from the line of David, and David was a man's man. David could write a psalm and cut your head off in the same breath. Here's a man of war. You think about how bad of a dude David was? He, was, he had a little redneck in him, in my opinion. That's just my West Virginia opinion. But he walked out onto the battlefield, and Goliath is sitting there, half flabbergasted. You're going to send this little kid out? I'm a man of war. And then he starts trash-talking him. You, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. I'll cut you. And David cuts him. I'll cut your head off. How about that? I'll feed your flesh to the birds of the air. Now, that right there was an act of faith because David only had a sling. <laughs> I don't know how he planned to cut Goliath's head off. You just flip the sling around the neck and just. I don't know how long that would have took, but he just started talking trash by faith. I'll cut your head. I'll feed your flesh to the birds of the air. And he was a man of war. He loved God so much. You know what? something that will stir your faith? Think about this for a minute. Go back through your Bible, 1 Samuel. You can go back from 17th chapter all the way to the beginning. Read as much as you want. Try to find one place where God told David to fight Goliath. You'll never find one. 
God never instructed David to fight Goliath. God never even insinuated that David should fight Goliath. David just got out there on the battlefield and heard that uncircumcised Philistine blaspheming the name of the God that he loved with all of his heart. Some of y'all remember being in school. What's the quickest way to start a fight with somebody? Talk about their mom. You don't talk about my mom. You can say anything you want, but don't you talk about my mom. David felt that way about his God. You notice this? All his brothers were soldiers. He's sitting there like, how come, dude, does nobody hear what he's saying? How are y'all hiding in the foothills when you've got, and I love that he brought this up, that this uncircumcised Philistine is talking like, you know what he was saying? Here's a dude that's got no covenant with God, and we got a whole army of people that are in covenant with the Most High God, and y'all are hiding behind the foothills when you've got an uncircumcised Philistine that's ready to come down. Let me tell you something. They all saw a bully. David saw a bullseye. It's a difference. And he said, they said, he's too big to fight. He said, he's too big to not fall. And David went out there with fire in his eyes. You know why? He had such a love for God. He said, I refuse to let this uncircumcised Philistine talk like that about my God. And people think that was the end. That wasn't the end. In fact, he told Saul, he said, I'm going to tell you why I can fight him. Because in the same way that God put the lions and the bears into my hand, he'll put this Philistine into my hand. And when David took him out, that wasn't the end. The Bible says that after that, David's mighty men joined up with him, and they went around that whole region and killed every last giant that existed in the earth. These men made giants extinct. That's how these were bad dudes. They weren't just sitting around writing music in their toms with their little, you know, Jewish afros. These were men of war. And David was so strong in what God had called him to do, he fought and fought and fought. You'd have thought he'd have died in battle. You know how he died? Old age. He died of old age. And he was ready, man. He was still in his old age ready to go. He said, Lord, let me build the temple for you. I'll build the temple. God said, no, you can't do it. You've shed too much blood. That's why I have you in 1 Chronicles 22. Listen to this. I'm going to read you verses 7 through 9. This is so powerful to me. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You've shed much blood and have waged great wars, and you shall not build a house to my name, because you've shed so much blood before me on the earth. Now catch this. Verse 9 ought to make you shout. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest. Oh, hallelujah. Woo! I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his days. You see the difference there? God is highlighting the fact first, you fought and won and fought and won and fought and won and fought and won. And now that you have, I'm going to let your son reign in total peace and his surrounding enemies will shut their mouths and leave him alone. I'm telling you the same thing tonight. By faith, you fought and won. You fought and won. You fought and won. And whatever enemies harassed you in your previous life, they have to shut their mouth and leave your 
children alone and leave your grandchildren alone. Alcoholism can't touch them. Drugs can't touch them. Divorce can't touch them. Cancer can't touch them. Diabetes can't touch them. Poverty can't touch them because you fought and won. They'll be victorious in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. amen. God has a plan to bless our families. Has a plan to bless us more and more and more. Hallelujah. More and more and more. Somebody just lift a hand and thank God that it's going to be more and more and more. Hallelujah. More and more and more. Say, so, well, brother, you know, how much does any one person really need? As much as the Lord will give. I'll take as much as he'll give. I'm not ashamed. I'll never allow. I learned this lesson early on. I will never allow any person with an anti-Christ spirit or agenda make me feel bad about walking in the blessing of the Lord. Not, when, not after I've seen all that I've seen in this world now. I ain't going to allow it. I will never feel guilty for being blessed when I see the way that this world applauds the prosperity of wicked people. Let one person that's a Christian get blessed, and everybody starts yapping about it. Oh, got him a new F-150, did he? Pastor, we've been talking about you down there at the hardware store. Got that new truck, did you? Must be good over there at Bethany. That's exactly how it works. Did you hear what he's driving over there? Pastor got him an RV. Wonder where the tithe dollars are going. You just hear them talk. They yap and they yap on aisle seven in the hardware store because let one righteous person get blessed. Let you get a new house. Let you get a new car. And hear what they say. Oh, got you a new truck. Must be nice. Have a new truck, huh? Oh, yeah, it's very nice. Very nice. You should feel the leather in the seats. It's gorgeous. Should let me take you for a drive. It's wonderful. It's a dream. It's a dream to drive. Yeah. Oh, got a new house. It's a little big, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, we have more bedrooms than we need. Far more. In fact, you can spend the night if you'd like one night because we have so many, we'd probably get lost in the house together. That's the direction I'm going now when people start trying to make me feel guilty. Because I'm so sick of being around Christians that apologize to everybody when God blesses them. You know, I'll be sitting there, I'll, I'll be in a plane, and I'll sit there, and I'll be sitting in first class, headed somebody, and somebody come in, oh, preacher's riding first class, and then all the other preachers that are sitting there, well, you know, we had a travel agent that was able to get us a deal, and you know, we had extra points uh, on the credit card that were, were stacked up, and we were to cash them in, you know, and we were able to get a deal, so it actually doesn't cost as much, you know, and they'll look at me, like, for me, I was like, yeah, I paid cash. Didn't get any deal, none at all. Paid full price, full price. And I'm not, a, you know, oh, really? Yeah, absolutely, full price. I refuse to clip coupons in the line at the grocery store. I have sat there, I came into this, I've stood behind people. I came in clean shaven and left with stubble. I've waited, hallelujah. That can of green beans was $4.99. I got it for $4.69. Hallelujah. 
Praise God. You know, and I'm just, I'm bringing this out because the devil's kept us in a place where we felt like we've had to save God money. God doesn't need you to save him money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The silver's his. The gold is his. And he is a divine provider. He's a creator. He doesn't need you to save him money. He is the one that can do the impossible and do the incredible. Well, I went across town, you know, because gas was 13 cents cheaper over there. And you spent $4 going 30 minutes down the road. <laughs> Do the math. You saved 67 cents on a full gallon, full tank. Uh, 13 cents, brother. I God doesn't need you to save him money. I know it gets quiet. You preach like this. Because you'll have somebody come in and do a seminar on stewardship. Now, understand everybody. Pull out their spectacles and tell you how you need to clip coupons and sell old shirts for Jesus so we can have a clothing drive. And somebody needs to bake some brownies so we can raise money so the youth can go to camp this month. Why don't you just write a check and send all the youth to camp? Hallelujah. It's my last night. I'm going to hit you and run. Amen. Because, see, here's what happens, is that we ha we've, sometimes we feel like that we've got to do something to save the Lord. You know, we're saving the Lord a little cash. No, you're not saving the Lord anything. God expects us to, raise, to rise up, be a blessing to our generation. You know what made me more mad than I've probably ever been in the last 10 years? I saw guys, for example, I'll give you a perfect example of this. Men like Kenneth Copeland, Jesse Duplantis, guys that you, you may not like them, you may like them, I could care less. But bottom line is this. Some people say, you know, those guys are flying around in a private jet. They own a jet. Cost millions of dollars. And that's the, it'll be on Good Morning America. You'll see people, do you know how much money they spent on a jet? And they'll give them a hard time and they'll mock them. And all this other stuff. And then, you know, there's people that try to, well, you know, they're good men. And, you know, and they try to explain it away. I'm done explaining it away. You know when I was done explaining it away? When the Toronto Raptors won the national championship in the NBA. And the rapper Drake took, he doesn't have just a private jet. He has a private 767. A set, not a little Learjet, not a Gulfstream, a 767. I will fly to Denver tomorrow on a smaller plane than Drake owns for himself. He had Virgil Abloh from, from, from Louis Vuitton outfit the whole inside of his 767 for over $100 million. More than he paid for the plane, he outfitted the leather. He has a room that's white Louis Vuitton, black Louis Vuitton, gray Louis Vuitton. And then after the Raptors won the national championship, he brings the whole team and the whole coaching staff into the 767, and they just fly over the city of Toronto, drinking all night, hanging with girls all night, doing lines of cocaine all night. And what do you see on the news? Isn't it exciting? Breaking news. Rapper Drake is up over the city of Toronto and they're celebrating the national championship. There's no talk of going green at that point. There's no talk of the ozone. There's no talk of global warming. There's just people getting all excited. Oh, did you see Drake is up there with the whole team and they're up there having themselves a blast and let one Christian get blessed. Let one Christian ride on a private jet and every antichrist spirit in the world jumps out of the woodwork to try to make you feel like a second class citizen because God's put the 
a blessing on your life. You pull up in a new F-250 and people get all bent out of shape because apparently Christians are supposed to drive around in cars that are held together by Christian bumper stickers and the primary color is Bondo. That's not who you're called to be. God's got a plan to bless you. He's got a plan to bless your family, a plan to bless your children, a plan to bless your grandchildren. Can you say amen? Amen. Oh, yeah. God's got a plan to bless you. I'm done apologizing to the world. You know why? Because I found out something. I found out that there's no level to which you can sink that they're okay with. Because, you know, even if you don't own a jet, but you fly first class, well, that's not enough for them. Oh, you're in first class? Even if you don't do that and you fly economy, oh, you pay money to fly on a plane? You could have drove. You understand? I could have. I could have got in a truck and drove from the tip of South Florida to here in Montana and got out of the car and for a week preached to you like this. So wonderful to be with you here in Montana. Uh, Forgive my posture. I just spent 90 million hours driving here. I could have. Just wanted to save the Lord a few dollars. You know, I. we could have. And then they'll still get mad at you. You realize the Amtrak train still runs. Using up all that gas to drive up here. Yeah, there's no level to which you can sink that the Antichrist spirit is happy with. They will push you at every turn. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. They'll be mad at you for whatever level of blessing that you stand in. And what, so I, you know what I made up my mind? If persecution's going to come anyway, I might as well have all the blessing God will give if the person's persecution's going to come at any level. Let the heathen rage. Let them get angry. Let them get mad. Let me show you something. Uh, Psalm 112. Let me read this to you. Because this is where God is taking every one of us. We're going to another level in Jesus' name. I said, we're going to another level in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. I'm excited about what God's going to plan to do with you. I'm excited about how he's going to touch you and the work of your hand. That I'm excited about how he's going to bless your children. I'm excited that your grandchildren will overflow. That they'll never have to go without. It's not right. Hear me. You say, well, that's pretty shallow, brother. That's pretty, it seems like you're pretty materialistic. No, it's not that I'm materialistic. Look at the passages of scripture that we read. I had a guy that was harassing me today about preaching the blessing of God. Well, you know, the Bible said that it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I said, oh, really? So you think rich people are going to hell? Yes. The rich. I said, man, guess Abraham will be in hell. Guess Isaac will be in hell. Guess Jacob will be in hell. Guess David will be in hell. Guess Solomon will be in hell. The list goes on. Guess Job will be in hell. You can go right on through the Bible. I guess they'll all be in hell. Because they all had, the Bible says, and they became very rich in gold and silver and livestock. Who do you think did that for them? The devil? 
You think the devil was blessing Abraham? You think the devil was blessing Isaac and Jacob? You think the devil blessed Job? You think the devil blessed Solomon and David? Did you know when it came time to build the temple for God, the Bible says that David said, if I can't build this, 1 Chronicles 29, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pay for it to be built. And he didn't go into the kingdom treasury. He went into his own treasury. And he said, let me pull out my own gold and silver and wood and precious stones. I can't calculate the value of any of that. But I can still calculate the value of gold and silver. And I looked it up one day. Did you know David personally gave, in today's value, over $6 billion in one offering to build the temple of God? And the Bible says when his elders saw him getting excited to give towards the kingdom of God, they started pulling out of their treasury to give as well. And the Bible says by the time they were done, I did the calculations on the weight of the gold and silver, the elders along with David gave a combined $20 billion to build the temple of God. Now see, that's so much money that people don't even have a reference point for how much money that is. So you know what I found out? With that amount of money, you could build Yankee Stadium 13 times and still have $500 million left over. I mean, this thing was opulent. And David said, if I can't build it, I'm going to give towards the building of God's temple. God will bless you to such a degree. And see, when they badmouth preachers like that, listen, I was sitting at a table with the greatest evangelist in the history of the world. I don't say that as opinion. I say it by actual soul-saved count. He's in heaven now. But Dr. Reinhard Bonnke, who has, listen, he had crusades that were so impactful. In fact, when I was at lunch with him in Orlando, he said, can I show you something in my office? We walked in. He said, there's a man who scores music for film. And when he saw what we were doing for the Lord, he said, Brother Bonke, would you provide a video montage of your altar calls of people being saved as you give the call for salvation? And he said, so we sent him the footage and he sent back this video. He said, I'd like you to see it, Brother Ted. I sat on a couch. He put the DVD in and I'm sitting there and it's just going from one crusade to the next crusade in Africa as he's calling people to Jesus. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. In fact, if you'd like to see it, you can go on YouTube and search evangelism in Nigeria, and you can see the video that man made. But there, I'm watching these montages of people, and at the bottom, it shows how many were in attendance and how many were saved at the altar that night. I looked at one of those clips, and it said, altar call response, 1.03 million came to the altar that night, in one night, to be saved. He turned to me. He said, we really had a problem that night, Brother Ted, because we'd only signed up 375,000 altar workers. <laughs> what? 375,000 altar workers. It's still almost one to every three people. People have to deal with that. And he said, you know, we don't count the cards. He said, if, if, if we can't read their name, if we can't read their information, if the whole card is not legible, we don't count the salvation. He said, because we only count the ones that we can follow up with and disciple them. He said, so, and then when I asked him, I said, well, how many souls have been saved? He said, just in the last 10 years, we've seen 52 
million people come to Jesus in Africa alone. Here's a man that literally was the greatest evangelist in the history of the world by salvation count. Nobody has won more souls than Dr. Bonke. And do you know what he told us at the lunch table? See, here's the behind the scenes stuff that nobody knows. He said, you know, and he told us this with tears in his eyes. He said, our ministry was about to go under. He said, we did not have the finances to keep holding these crusades. He said, we had nothing available. He said, but all of a sudden, God raised a preacher up to start a blessing our ministry and started sending us offerings to hold these crusades. He said, in, he said, in just an eight-year period, he sent us $42 million. I said, who was it? He said, it was Kenneth Copeland. And I said, well, there's people out here that are running him through the mud and kicking him online and every comment and getting all upset that all that he stands for and what he preaches and what they don't know because he doesn't flaunt it. He's not out telling about, well, you don't realize how many people are in heaven. He's out here sowing $42 million. Let me tell you what I know about men like Copeland. He's given away over 40 planes in his lifetime. He's given over 27 jets away for free that I know costs no less than $20 million. Let me tell you, when you see God blessing people, you ought to know there's a reason behind the scenes that God's got his hand a blessing on people. When you've got somebody that says, Lord, if you'll bless me, I will make sure souls get saved. If you'll bless me, I'll make sure churches get planted. If you'll bless me, I'll make sure the poor are blessed and that they eat and that people aren't homeless. If you'll bless me, Lord, I will bless your kingdom. Raise me up as a pillar of generosity in these final moments of time. And I'm telling you, one of the things the Bible tells us is that in the last days, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. I don't get mad when I see wicked people getting blessed. I say, just take care of my stuff till I come to get it. Because the wealth of the wicked is laid up for you. It's laid up for your family. God has a plan to bless you. Can you say amen? Psalm 112, listen to these four verses. I'm getting ready to pray for every family. Praise the Lord, the Bible says. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody say blessed. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. That's a key right there. God's not blessing us so we can go do our own thing. He's blessing us so that we can advance the kingdom of heaven. Look at this, his offspring, that's your kids and that's mine. That's our grandkids. His offspring will be mighty in the land. Not insignificant, mighty. Not addicts, mighty. Not broken, mighty. Not timid, hiding in the shadows, mighty. Glory to God. You know, I told you last night I was upset. My daughter, she got filled with the Holy Ghost. When she was five years old, I didn't even get to be the one to pray for her to get it. She was in children's church at my uncle's Assembly of God Church in West Virginia, and they got children's church praise and worship going on. And my little niece, Kaylin, walks across the children's church during praise and worship under the unction of the Holy Ghost. She's five, and my daughter's five. Where do you learn to do this if it's not the Holy Ghost? She walks across the kids' class during praise and worship and lays hands on my daughter's head. Power of God hits my daughter. She goes out under the power of God and starts praying in tongues in children's church. The Bible says they'll be mighty in the land. I said they'll be mighty in the land. I said they'll be mighty 
in the land. I prayed for a boy in Boston. He said I was timid, but he said not only was I timid, I was horrible in school. My mom hired a tutor to come give me lessons at the house. He said, but it would really bother me because when the tutor would come, he'd always smell like weed and alcohol. And he said he must have been partying at college all week long. He said, it really bothered me, Brother Ted, but you laid hands on me in the service. He said, the Holy Ghost got a hold of me. I got filled with the Spirit of God. He said, and this kid's 11 when he's telling me this, 11 years old. He said, I went home, had my next tutoring session after the revival. He said, the dude walked back in the door smelling like drugs and alcohol again. He said, I don't know what came over me. He said, my hands shot up like that. And I said, lift up your hands. That's what he said to the college kid. The college kid didn't know if it was a stick up or what. He was put, put his hands up. He said, I walked across the room and put my hand on his mouth and laid hands on him. And I prayed that God would deliver him. He said, I prayed that that taste of nicotine and weed and alcohol would leave him. And then he said, I don't know where this came from, but I said it. I said, if you ever smoke it or drink it again, I pray you get sick to your stomach and throw up everywhere. He said the week later, the kid came back to my house for our next tutorial. He said he walked into the door and started shouting my name. He said, I came out of the kitchen. I said, what's going on? He said, what did you do to me? He said, I've been trying to hang with my friends all week. I've been trying to party at school. Every time I take a smoke or a drink, I've been throwing up all over the dormitory. What did you do to me? Your offspring will be mighty in the land. They'll cast out devils. They'll heal the sick. They can raise the dead. They'll speak with new tongues. Our children will be blessed. Not just that. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Look at verse 3 for everybody. Don't, you know, there's people that get offended just by reading the Bible. Wealth and riches will be in his house. Well, that's not God. Who, hold on, who added that? What is this, the Passion Translation? <laughs> and his righteousness endures forever. Now flip the page if that's where you're at in the Bible. Maybe it's still on the same page you're on. But verse 10 makes me laugh. The wicked man will see it and will get angry. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. And the desire of the wicked shall perish. You know what I'm saying? Gnash them, baby. Gnash them till they're down to the gums. Because I ain't going to apologize, and God's people are going to be blessed, and we're going to walk in the abundance of the Holy Ghost more than enough. We will not struggle. The generation of the upright will be blessed. What business do the wicked have being more blessed than your family? They don't have a covenant with God. They don't have a covenant with the provider. They should not have, you know what I say when, when we're bringing those kids up? They shouldn't have to go to somebody else's house to experience the goodness. Oh, come on. I'm preaching now. They shouldn't have to go hang at some sinner's house because they're the only ones on the block that have the new gaming system. And they're the only ones that have... That shouldn't be the case. Kids should want to flock to your house because the blessing of God's on you. I'm telling you, you, you can see the blessing of God. There was a girl... 
that they told me about in church. And her mom had just told her, God will bless you. You just put your hands to work. You just start doing some work, baby. God will bless you. And she, the girl went out and started a lemonade stand. And her mom came back from work. And the girl's holding a pile of money. I mean, a pile. She's holding 20s and 50s and all this money. And she's like, what did you do to get all that money? And you know what she found out her daughter was doing? Having the lemonade stand, dollar a cup, but people would hand her a 20 or a 50, and she'd say, thanks for the tip. <laughs> That's all she'd say, thanks for the tip. She ended the day, she's got a pile of money. Just had an expectation that that's how good people wanted to be to her. <laughs> thanks for the tip. Oh, yeah, your family will be blessed. The generation of the upright will be blessed. That's what I'm telling you. We shouldn't have to take a second seat to anybody when you've got a God that knows how to bless you. I'm flipping over for one more verse. And this is what the Word of God tells us. I'm staying in Psalms. Psalm 114, two chapters later. Listen to this. Team, you can come back. I'm getting ready to minister to the people of God. The Bible says this. Psalm 114, or excuse me, 115 and verse 14. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. Hallelujah. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Glory to God. Woo! The dead do not praise the Lord, no, to any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, praise the Lord. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. You and your children. You and your children. You and your children. I'm praying this. Why am I preaching like this tonight? Why am I going hard on this tonight? Because I understand prophetically what the spirit of this world wants to do. I know what they want for churches. I know what they want for Christian people. I know they want churches shut down. So I preached it the other day. There's a reason why Lowe's is preaching on it. There's a reason that the church was not deemed essential. There's a reason why Lowe's could be open and Home Depot could be open and Walmart could be open and the strip club could be open and the you know you can go get your cannabis if you're in Colorado and you can go get your cigars. You know, get how how did liquor stores stay open? Hear what I'm saying? How did liquor stores stay open and the church was shut? It's because there's an antichrist agenda yes. to shut the church down. Amen. And we've got to be those that won't stay quiet about it. There's people that get all bent out of shape. Well, really, you should just, you know, bow your knee to the government. Don't deal with politics. Don't talk about that. Just keep preaching Jesus. Jesus stands for freedom. And it's funny to me. Last year, everybody was quoting Romans 13. You know, obey the government. Obey. The you know what I would have quoted, and I did quote the whole year? Acts 5.29. We must obey God rather than man. God rather than man. God rather than man. It'll be a cold day in hell with the devil sucking popsicles that I'll ever shut my ministry down because the government said to. You can find my behind on cell block E preaching this same message. If they put me in jail, they put me in jail. If they tell me I can't preach against homosexuality, guess what message number one is going to be? 
well, you can't preach on that anymore. Guess what message number two is going to be? I'm not bowing my knee to the spirit of this world. I will not listen to the antichrist voice. If I go to another nation and they tell me, well, it's probably the best idea not to preach on false gods because it's a, you know, this is a polytheistic nation. Guess what message number one is going to be? The Lord, he is one God and he'll have no other gods before him. I'm not afraid, and you shouldn't be either, of the spirit of this world. We carry more authority and more power and more dominion. There's more power in one believer than in all of hell put together. I honestly believe this. You hear me now. If every demon that is available gathered together into one battalion with Satan at the helm and came against just you, you alone. There's enough Holy Ghost in your spirit to speak one word by the power of God and send every demon back where it came from. Send the devil back where he came from. I'm telling you I'm not afraid of the spirit of this world. This is the way we got to live in these last days. We should be so bold about this that when the devil goes to bed at night he checks under his bed to make sure you're not there. That kind of boldness, that kind of fire where we declare devil this far and no further. Montana belongs to Jesus. America belongs to Jesus. North America belongs to Jesus. And we refuse to give this generation over to the spirit of this world. We declare America shall be saved in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. If you believe it, stand on your feet all over this house. Give God all the glory. Give him all the glory. I'm telling you, the best days are ahead. I keep saying it so that it gets in your spirit. The best days are ahead. Best days are ahead. They're not behind for us. They're ahead. We're going to see victory like we've never seen. Victory like we've never seen. Victory like we've never seen. Ha, ha, ha. Glory to God. Lift your hands. Put your hand on her belly. Jesus name I take authority over every attack of the devil against your body against your family it shall not prevail in Jesus mighty name I lose the fire of God into you tonight receive a touch from heaven Jesus mighty name Jesus mighty name telling you I feel the anointing in this house tonight God's going to touch us take my hand as you were singing the other night not tonight but the other night I heard the Lord say I've put more in her spirit than has ever come out and there's hear this now there's something getting ready to rush out of you for the Lord's going to give you songs and songs and songs you will write music like you never have and I, I heard the Lord say, I have an album for her that she's going to record. And that's those songs that she sings, that she records, will bring healing to the broken. It's not just going to be a, a, an album that people stream and say, oh, doesn't that sound good? It will carry an anointing that sets the captives free. That whatever the devil... See, here's the thing people don't realize. You have a testimony. And the testimony that you have is a weapon in your hand. For the Bible says in the book of Revelation that we overcome the spirit of Antichrist by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And as you release the worship God's put in your spirit, a breakthrough anointing is flowing out of your life and out of your ministry. And there will be people that as they listen to you sing, healing will come into their body. 
healing will come into their mind. Healing will flood through their house. Their children will feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It will be a supernatural transaction. For God will use it as a ministry tool that will break the yoke of bondage off of those that are hurting, dying, and broken. And so we loose it in Jesus' name. And it's coming quickly. God will open every door that needs to open. You'll have everything you need. And it will be the easiest thing you've ever done. For the Lord will even wake you up in the night and give you psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He'll give you lyrics and he'll give you melodies and he'll give you even chord changes. Your family will come together and the team will come together. You watch and see what God will do. Watch and see what God will do. And I see this. I, I don't see it stopping at New Life. It's not going to stop there. There will be people that will even hear it from other churches and other places. And they will begin to take those same songs, sing them in their churches. And God will bring victory in their churches. And God will uh, cause it to go out from among you. It will go out from among you. I feel the Lord speaking that. Psalm 40 and verse 3. Sing a new song unto the Lord. A song of praise unto our God. Many will hear it and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Many will hear it and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Somebody stretch out your hands and begin to give God thanks. Things are changing for the better. In the wonderful name of Jesus, they're changing for the better. Hallelujah. They're changing for the better. They're changing for the better. They're changing for the better. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. It's changing for the better. Don't believe the witness that's flowing through this generation. It's changing for the better. Don't even believe the statistics that you hear. Well, young people aren't interested in Jesus. Young people aren't interested in church. Don't believe those lies either. I can tell you from experience. Every single place I've been in this nation and around the world. How many were here last night as little kids were flooding the altar to get saved? They're not even, some of them weren't even 10 years old, were they? Not even 10 years old. Four, five, six, some, well, three. But they felt the Holy Ghost. I said, how many of you need to know your sins are forgiven before Jesus comes? Little kids' hands go up. I need to pray the prayer of forgiveness, salvation. Stood right here and gave their hearts to Jesus. You heard them pray that prayer of salvation with a bold and a loud voice. I've been to places, I've preached revivals just like this. I was preaching in North Carolina, and I was getting ready to give the altar call. I saw a kid over against the wall on this side. Had to be eight years old. He's over there just weeping. I thought, man, his mom has laid into him during this service. I thought he got yelled at. I honestly did. And I said, how many of you need to receive Jesus? It was not a youth revival. It was not a kid's revival. It was just like this. And when I gave the call for salvation, every person standing at that altar was 15 or younger. Everyone. Many of them children. And that boy was the first one. He's shaking. He stands up, moves past his mom, and comes down to the altar, eight years old with tears streaming down his face as the Holy Ghost is convicting his heart. Stood at God's altar, lifted both hands, and gave his heart to Jesus. I laid hands on the boy, and the Holy Ghost came upon him, and he began to pray in other tongues. Got filled with the Holy Ghost at eight years old. Don't believe this lie that the young people aren't hungry for the things of God. This is the hungriest generation you've ever seen. Why? Because they're hurting. They're broken. They need an answer. They need a change. They're searching everywhere for something to sustain them. But they need the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why it's so vital that we walk in the blessing of heaven. That we walk in the increase of God. That we walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. 
because things are changing for the better because of the body of Christ, because of you and your family. Can you say amen? Sister, step out and lift your hands. The fire of God's on you tonight. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't know if we've ever met before. I don't think we have. But I can see the anointings on you. God's going to use you in such a mighty way to shake your generation before Jesus comes. And things that you've even cried out to God in your personal prayer time and said, Lord, use me. Let the power of your spirit flood my life. Let it flow out of me. Let me be an, an impactful member of the body before Jesus comes. The Lord has heard every prayer. The Lord has heard you as you've cried out. And he said, I'm going to lift you head and shoulders above your generation. You will be a deliverer in your time. Those hurting, broken, and dying, they will receive a touch of the Holy Ghost through your faithfulness. And you watch and see, for the Lord will do it quickly. This will be the greatest end to a year you've ever had. As the encounter after encounter with the Holy Ghost in your private prayer time. And God's launching you into the best days you've ever seen. Now here's a word for you that I'm telling you is from the Lord. Not from me because I don't know you. And I understand there might be even people that are watching online. might get mad about this word. But get mad if you want to. I'm going to tell you this. The Lord has called you to minister. I'm not, hear what I'm saying. I'm not telling you you're going to marry a preacher. I'm telling you you are a preacher. You may marry one as well. I don't even know if you are married. But I'm just telling you, the Lord said, you are called. You will speak the glory of God. You will release the power of God. You will make an impact on your generation. And the best days you've ever seen are just ahead. For God's getting ready to fill your mouth with laughter and your tongue with singing. As you begin to see the goodness of God manifest in your life, you will. God knows how to make you laugh. Hallelujah. Fire of the Holy Ghost come upon her tonight. God will make you laugh. God will make you laugh. <laughs> God will make you laugh. Lift those hands. Magnify the name of Jesus. Give Him glory. Give Him praise. Give Him praise. Hallelujah. 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 Take a minute. Magnify Jesus. He's here. His presence is here. Come on, come on, come on. Press in. 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 This will be the first family I pray for tonight. What the Lord spoke to me, he said, pray for families on this final night. He said, pray for the families with their children, their grandchildren, and loose the blessing of God to the families. Why? God's raising families up in these final days. Your children will be blessed. I've been preaching it all night. They'll not be bound by the yoke of sin. They'll not be enslaved to things that try to hold them in invisible prisons. It will not come to pass. Hear what I'm saying to you. Whatever the devil tried to send to destroy your children, your families, God's blowing his breath from heaven and breaking every yoke of bondage. Lift your hands and hear before I pray for this precious family. Hear what I'm saying. Sin, number one, will not hold your children in bondage. The, the, the lure and trick of sin 
will not hold them in bondage. That, impri- that prison door has to come open. Addictions will not hold your children and grandchildren in bondage. They'll not be addicted to nicotine, alcohol, drugs, prescription meds, pornography. It will not touch them in Jesus' name. No, it will not. No, it will not. Poverty will not be their story. Barely getting by, struggling. Broken relationships will not be their story. Hear me. Perversion will not be their story in Jesus' name. The spirit of perversion will not be their story. Your children will not fall prey to homosexuality or lesbianism in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I said in Jesus' name. Every yoke of bondage is being broken by the anointing of the Holy Ghost because we serve a God that loves us, cares for us, and he's got the answer to every issue that the devil brings. In Jesus' name.